In today's world, how you choose to have your writing show up on screen may say as much about you as what you choose to wear to an important meeting. On today's show, how to enhance your writing through practical typography. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 145. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal leadership. And I'm so glad that you have tuned in for another episode because today I have a guest with us that is going to help us look through the lens of improved communication, one of the topics we hit on a lot on this show. But one of the things that we haven't talked about much on the show in the past is the written word. And in particular, what are things that we can do in our writing and how we're formatting and structuring our writing in order to be as effective as possible of getting our message across and it resonating with others and also not putting up unintentional barriers in our writing. And this is something that I see a lot uh, that many people who are otherwise talented in many other areas put up many barriers in their writing and how they utilize the tools available to them. And that's why I'm really excited to have Matthew Butterick on the show today. Matthew is the author of the book Practical Typography. It is a free resource that's available on the web, and he'll tell us more about the resource. Um, But he is an expert in typography and is someone that I have uh, come across in the last year, and the book has been tremendously helpful to me to improve my writing and how I get my message across. So, Matthew, I am uh, so glad to have you. Welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for having me. But let me ask you a question first, because in your introduction, you said on on your show you don't talk a lot about written communication. Uh, What kind of communication do you usually talk about? You know, I, it's interesting you ask that because a lot of the time it's the interpersonal communication. It's the presentation. It's, it's the one-on-one type communication. I guess I've talked a little bit about email before, and we've talked a little bit about things like PowerPoint. But when I think about writing and, and just getting the written word out there, you know, we all do that a lot. And yet we don't really talk about it that much. And a lot of us don't have good tools for how to, how to do it effectively. Well, it's interesting. one of the interesting things for me is that I mean, this book actually uh, came out of an earlier project called Typography for Lawyers, because I'm also a, a lawyer. And it kind of, what it all originally thought set me thinking about this was going to, to, to court and seeing how awful all of the written product docu- uh, uh, created by lawyers, you know, all these documents were so terrible. And I said to myself, are there rules or laws that force lawyers to make everything so ugly? And so, you know, I started to research and find out, of course, there aren't any rules like that. It's just, you know, that's how people do it. But lawyers, you know, as a group of people, just as, as a parallel, I mean, that's a group of people who take you know, their verbal communication very seriously, right? I mean, if you see a lawyer showing up to court, you know, he or she is not going to sh- show up in his sweatpants and a tank top and flip-flops, even though there's no rule of court, 
that says that, you know, you have to wear a suit, right? But, but lawyers will wear suits because they, you know, they understand that it's important to, so I think that there's, it's interesting that, that folks tend to have an intuitive notion that nonverbal communication is important, you know, when we're standing in front of someone, we, we appreciate that. And it's really no different on the printed page. And I mean, when I'm talking about typography, you know, typography is just the visual component of the written word, right? It's everything beyond just the, you know, the, the plain text. The text is what comes out of your fingers when you're, when you're typing. And then the typography is everything else, you know, you add to it, all the decisions about, uh, you know, font and, you know, margins and, and line spacing. And again, you know, people may say, oh, well, that, that stuff doesn't really matter. But I kind of, you know, I, I like to make the case to people that when you say it doesn't matter, it's kind of like saying it doesn't matter how you come across, you know, in, in person, if you're trying to make a point to someone, if you're you know, looking down at your shoes and kind of saying like, uh, well, this, that, and other thing, it's, it's going to make a bad impression. And just, it's the same way on the printed page. Moreover, it just really doesn't take that much, uh, you know, knowledge or, or skill to to go from not caring about typography at all to being pretty darn good at it. So uh, I enjoy spreading this information because uh, you know, as soon as people start to get a little bit into it, kind of like you were saying with, with yourself, even if you never thought about it in your life, uh, you know, you start using the information, putting it to work, and suddenly you you see for yourself what a difference it, it can make, and it does make a difference to readers. That's one of the reasons I love this book so much is because the the books that are kind of traditionally out there on this type of thing are generally not very accessible for a for for a broad audience. They're style guides and they're the kinds of things that people read if they're getting master's degrees and doing doctoral dissertations. Um, but the thing that I love about your book is you really make it. I mean, it, it is practical typography. It is what is the uh, and forgive the cliche, the low-hanging fruit, the kinds of things that if you just if you just did these things would get you eighty or ninety percent of the way there. And um, and I thought maybe we'd spend some time just looking at a few of those here um, today because I, I think a few of these things would really be helpful to a lot of people. And and you've already hit on one of them, which is talking about what typography is, because I think a lot of people, um, you know, they, they've heard the term font and they assume that that's typography, but really typography is a lot broader than just font choice. Right. I mean, that's, that's the most, you know, people have been looking at the font menu on their computer for 20 years and, and sometimes investigating it, sometimes not. But you're right. Fonts are part of typography, but typography uh, is all, all the choices that, that control the, the presentation of, of the, the text on the, on the page. Well, when I say page, I mean, anytime that you have a word presented visually, you have typography. So it might be a page, it might be a screen, it might be a sign, you know, it might be a PowerPoint presentation. So in every case, typography is implicated. And one of the things I do on, on my website is talk about how, how the considerations, not only can, what are the, the basic guidelines for good typography, but how the considerations differ if you're making, say, you know, a PDF versus a PowerPoint presentation versus versus a website. It's not really, and, and you know, I'm never about like, I mean, sometimes there are hard and fast rules. <laughs> Very rarely though. I mean, in, in general, I like to tell people, look, you know, here's a, here's a reasonable guideline for you to, 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 to experiment with and, you know, do it yourself. I mean, I don't set myself out as the, the typography police. I just want people to use this information to frankly, you know, make themselves, you know, happy <laughs> like, to look at their documents and say, oh yeah, that's, 
that's a, that's really a lot better. I mean, some of the best um, uh, fan mail I get is from people with their resumes because this is I mean, resumes are actually complicated documents to to work with, and when people can realize, oh, I can just you know apply this information, this information, and and suddenly it looks a lot better. It's uh, you know gives gives them more confidence. Well, that's great. Well, let's look at one of these more common ones that a lot of us have seen as selections on our. Uh, Microsoft Word interface or whatever word processor we use, which is font selection. And I know one of the things that you encourage people to do is to kind of look beyond some of the default system fonts. And, and in particular, you call out Arial and Times New Roman, which are probably the two most commonly used. Um, and you say, you know, you want to try to probably avoid some of those those more common system fonts. What's 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 the reason for that, and why are those fonts that we should look at avoiding? Well, I should I should as before I answer your question, I should <laughs> I should announce my slight bias uh, to your audience, which is that my very first job, uh, you know, I have a, a, a design degree from college, and my first job coming out of college was working as a digital typeface designer, mm. um, and which is something work that I did for a while and, and continue to do. So for me, I, I love uh, typefaces and fonts. I, I design them. I make new ones. Um, I revive old ones. So to me, it's like they're a, a, a very powerful and effective way to get to add a lot of value on the page. So that's my bias. But let's come over here to this, you know, this whole pile of, of fonts that you get with something like Microsoft Office. What's the problem with them? You know, it's not that they're bad fonts necessarily, but there's there's two issues. One is that a lot of these fonts are really, really overused. Um, you know, something like Arial. Arial, for instance, is been the default font in Windows for something like 22 years, right? So it's hard, and, and I have seen, you know, uh, uh, companies with websites where they have, you know, slogans like, you know, we're a, a such and such firm like no other, and then they set it in Arial. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, you know, that's not really the font you want to use <laughs> if you're trying to communicate how different you are because people have been seeing it for 22 years on every sort of, of uh, terrible document there is. So there's this set of fonts that I kind of consider the, the fonts of just total default last resort. It's the font that says, I didn't pick a font. And that's a font like Arial or Times New Roman. And sometimes people you know, get think, oh my God, what is he saying? I shouldn't use Times New Roman. It's like, look, if you really want to use Times New Roman or Arial, I can't come to your house and pry it from your hands. I just want you to notice, though, that there are other fonts in the menu, and some of them you might like better. And not only are there other fonts in that menu, there's a whole world of, of fonts that are not on your computer, which I call uh, professional fonts. And, I mean, I call them professional fonts. They're not that expensive. But, um, you know, and those are what you see in the books and newspapers and magazines you read every day. So it's like if, if you like, say, to read The New Yorker and you think it has wonderful typography, you can get the font that The New Yorker uses and you can use it in your own documents. But, you know, it's not something that comes with Microsoft uh, Word. So I just you know, like people to see, hey, you know, it's such a, you know, again, of all the things that you spend money on in your office, you know, a nice uh, typeface family is, uh, is, is a pretty uh, affordable luxury, and it lasts forever, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, and I should mention, too, that I've purchased both of the fonts that you have designed, Concourse and Equity, and I know you've, you've designed others in the past as well, and I've been using them for almost a year now. And um, people have definitely noticed, people who know nothing about typography— um, have said, oh, that document looks really good. You know, what did you do? And the reality is, is I didn't do very much differently, except I, I didn't use 
the standard font. And and I think that that's part of the challenge that people have is, you know, we kind of all, we use the default a lot, but we don't necessarily know what to use instead. Um, So I'm wondering if you could maybe give us some guidance on, for those people who wouldn't necessarily go out and get a professional font, what are just something we could do that would get beyond using the default? Right. Well, on my, I realize that, I mean, even though I am, you know, like I say, I, I try to be a, a transparent, transparently biased uh, advocate for professional fonts. I recognize there's plenty of situations where people have to stick with the fonts that they're, that are on their machine, either because for, for practical reasons or because they're, workplace demands it. You know, on the website, the practical typography website, I have a, I've taken all the system fonts that, that ship with Microsoft Windows and Office and the Mac, and I've kind of ranked them from what I call the A-list, the, the generally tolerable ones, uh, to the much larger F-list, the ones that I consider fatal to your credibility if, if, you, uh, if you use them. So, but so, I mean, some of the fonts that are on the A-list um, on, on Windows, like Century Schoolbook, that's a perfectly nice face. Um, it's right there. You can you can use it. It's, it's nothing wrong with that. Garamond, Gill Sands, uh, Gaudi Old Style, uh, Baskerville, Franklin Gothic. You know, so there are some some nice uh, faces, and and you know these aren't faces that are like even even professional typographers would say, oh yeah, those those are those are nice faces. So uh, nothing wrong with those. Um, and uh, you know, and they're they're versatile. They can be used in a lot of different contexts without looking uh, ridiculous. I mean, what, one of the strange things to me about, say, just the Microsoft Office software, which we have to talk about because it's the thing that everyone has, and so it has a sort of outsized influence on our visual culture. But uh, they just pack it full of the most ridiculous fonts. I mean, I just can't believe some of the stuff. Like, why do we need all these kind of crazy script fonts? Are people actually doing spreadsheets with those? So um, I don't understand but um, I'm never going to ask Microsoft why that's so. In fact, uh, the very first typeface I ever made uh, ships with Microsoft Office now, and I was helped design it. It's called Berlin Sands. Oh, cool. And I see it everywhere as a result. I mean, I ride around Los Angeles, and I see it on, you know, signage. And usually it's like, you know, beer, you know, six-pack on sale for three ninety nine. So, again, some of these fonts you don't want to put uh, in your document if you want to look like, you know, professional and with it. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it really is, um, you know, Office in particular just has so many different options. And that, that's one of the reasons I really like that, um, that you've kind of ranked them in the book online is that you give people some guidance on, on what to do with that. So, so that's awesome. Um, let, me, let me ask you to, related to font uh, is point size. And so that's the other thing that I think people see a lot and they figure, okay, I, Either I need to leave this at whatever it defaults to, or I should do something with this. Um, what kinds of things should we be thinking about when we're thinking about how big to make the font? Because that's what point size means, right? Right. Well, I think a lot of folks think of the, the default point size is, is 12 point. Like, isn't that the, the normal point size? That's not actually, again, in, in professional typesetting, like books, newspapers, magazines, you will almost never see type at 12 point. And the reason it became the sort of default on computers really has to do with, uh, it all goes back to the, the typewriter really, and the typewriter's unnatural influence, <laughs> sort of the two threads, right? Microsoft Office and the typewriter. Uh, and you know, we, we created a lot of typographic idioms because of the mechanical limitations of the typewriter. And even though the typewriter hasn't been with us for whatever going on close to 30 years, you know, these, these habits are so ingrained. So 
kind of at the dawn of the computer age, people were so used to using 12-point type on typewriters that it kind of carried over. But in practice, you know, most of the, the type you're going to see out in the world is, is between 10 and 10, 11, 11 and a half point. It's usually under 12 points. So I say 10 to 12 point as a range, but I really encourage people not to go all the way to 12 point. One of the things that makes um, point size also a little um, – uh, not, not, not difficult, but why you have to experiment a little bit is that different fonts are actually different sizes on their own. Um, I work, you know, obviously I talk to lawyers sometimes and, and, and some of them discover this because they like to, some of them like to cram as many words onto a page, right? If you've only got a five page brief, it's like, how can I get the most words? So they say to me, oh, we discovered that the Garamond font that comes with Microsoft Word, that really fits the most words. And I said, well, that's because it just happens to be very small. You're, I won't say you're cheating exactly, but I mean, so when you're, when you're switching fonts, you should kind of think about font choice and point size together, that when you change your font, you may also need to, uh, to, to change the point size. And I also like to point out to people that, you know, they say, well, you're saying a range of 10 to 12, that means 10, 11, or 12. Actually, you know, in Microsoft Word, you can try 10 and a half, you can try 11 and a half. I know that sounds really silly and, and fine-grained, but uh, truly, it can make a big difference when you're talking about a very long document because you know, and, and typography really is, is built on, on these details. So, and it does and, look and different. Again, I'm not saying, I'm saying you know, you, you, it's just a matter of, hey, print out a sample with, you know, in, in the few various sizes, see which one you like the best, pick that one, move on. I'm not saying it has to be like, subject to yeah, <laughs> scientific yeah. research. Well, and it does look different. And I know you make the distinction, too, that considering what you're doing online too is helpful as far as figuring out what point size should be. I, for example, have found that I, I just can't look at 12 point font on email anymore. So I have my email client set to, um, it's actually uses your font. So I see all my emails in equity. Um, and then it's set for 18 point font. Cause I, I just can't read 12 point font on email. It's just way too small for me. Uh, well, like. yeah, and so the screen, entirely different problem. I and mean, well, how is screen reading different from paper? Well, screens are usually farther away from our eyes, uh, thing one. And thing two, screens themselves, I mean, even though we're, we're getting better screens, you know, we've got these, you know, retina, what do they call them, retina iPhones and, and laptops are starting to have these screens too. You know, they still have less resolution than your average printed page. So it's just there's kind of fewer dots on the screen to make the letter. So all this means is that text, you know, if you take a, a letter that's 12 point on a printed page that is easy to read, is not that easy to read on the screen. So uh, I recommend that when you're on screen, you know, for instance, with, with a website, if you're doing a website that you think about um, raising the point size to like between 15 and, and even going all the way up to 25. I mean, if you look at practical typography, uh, you know, I, the, the, the type is, is very large, but, um, you know, again, I think it's, it's, it's about accounting for, for that, that difference. And, and the, the book online is beautiful. So I, I want to get to that in a minute too, just kind of some of the, uh, the resources you've got online here. Um, let's hit on a couple of these other rules here of things that I see a lot and things I've tried to do differently. Uh, one of them that I know I've been guilty of in the past, Matthew, and my wife, Bonnie's really uh, uh, coached me on this over the years, is avoiding exclamation points. And you uh, you make a case in the book of how um, exclamation points are often overused. What's, what's the reason for avoiding it? And what's a good kind of standard for us to look for as far as that? Well, I have to first say that, that, that though 
<laughs> I'm I'm stepping a little bit out of my jurisdiction. It's sort of a sneaky thing I did in my book because you know uh, whether you use a, a particular you know form of emphasis in your writing is really a question of of, of style and, and usage. Um, and which I should say, uh, since uh, I, one of my favorite books uh, out there is called Garner's uh, Modern American Usage by this gentleman named Brian Garner. Uh, this book is tremendous for every writer uh, and was a huge influence on me as I was doing my, my typography book. Uh, mm. But Brian is, is a giant in the world of, uh, of American English usage and has a lot to say on all these topics. So if, if anybody uh, wants to be a better writer, get that book and, and have it nearby because he, can, he, he will tell you about uh, all these topics. But exclamation points, I, don't, I just feel like in the Internet age, it's, you know, it's, the, the key is right there and, and people... You know, it's like it's like all caps. It's just it's like a lazy form of of, of emphasis, and um, it it does really drive readers crazy. Because one of the things I say is that you know, the whole point of typography is to sort of conserve reader attention. Because in my view, I mean, it's easy to when you're a writer to think, oh, people are just going to pay all the attention. You know, they're just gonna be completely blown away by how fascinating my writing is. That's not what's going through their mind at all. They're like, why should I be paying attention to you? And when can I stop paying attention to you? So exactly. it's really incumbent on you to, to, to conserve that attention. So I feel like anytime the writing or the typography sort of annoys the reader, <laughs> it's, it's a bad sign. And, and trust me, if you're sprinkling exclamation points all over, uh, in a, it's like sort of there's a slight desperation inherent in it. And, and, and it loses its force after a while. And I think this is true of everything that you can do on a page, whether it's like if you use big fonts uh, for every heading or if you put everything in bold or everything in caps, it's just when everything is emphasized, nothing is emphasized. So you know, every form of emphasis should be used sparingly. And that includes the exclamation point. I, I love your perspective here on on really thinking about it from the reader's perspective too. You know, we've we've talked about on this show a lot of thinking about things from the other person's point of view in interpersonal communication and leadership. Um, but but from a, the written standpoint too, it's just as important. I mean, if we think about how we approach stuff that like like online or reading a book, I'm not thinking about how brilliant the writing is most of the time. I'm thinking of like what's in it for me? How do I get to this and how do I get the value of this content as quickly as possible? And, and and that's just such an that's such just an important barrier to cross. Um, if one example of that is I write an article every week, and usually it's about a thousand words by the time I'm done writing it. And then I spend fifty percent of the time doing that, and the next fifty percent of the time getting it down to five hundred words because I know people won't read it if it's more than five or six hundred words. Um, it's just it's just too long and it's not accessible for people. So that that structural type thing is really important to to look at and to be considering. Yes, absolutely. So I'm, and I'm a big fan of, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, the, and you started out by saying that this, this book is accessible. I mean, I think part of the reason it's accessible is because it's short. <laughs> and I spend a lot of time thinking about how can I make this shorter? Because maybe my uh, appetite for a typography book might run to four or 500 pages, but that's not true of everybody else. <laughs> so Butterick, you really gotta, you really gotta boil this down. So but it's, a, it's, you know, it's a fun, to me, making things shorter is really one of my great pleasures as a writer. And I, I think that there's a lot of writers out there who would disagree. For them, it's like, ah, I would just love to take up all the space I want. Like, That's terrible. I pretty much wish every book that I bought uh, were shorter. Uh, but uh, it's, it's hard today. I feel like publishers just essentially take manuscripts and say, yeah, it looks good. Let's just put that on the shelf and see what happens. So, um, 
writing, editing your writing, shortening your writing is, is a difficult skill to learn, but incredibly valuable both, you know, to, to every reader who ever encounters it. No reader ever read something and said, gosh, I wish that had been longer. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think we may have mentioned this on the uh, show a while back, but uh, you reminded me of a story from Mark Twain. Uh, Mark Twain had received a telegram from a publisher famously that said, need two-page short story two days. And he famously is attributed as replying, no can do two pages two days, can do 30 pages two days, need 30 days to do two pages. Um, right. And and it's like there's an art to really making things concise and and accessible to people and uh and, and I, I love that that's that's a focus for you and it, and it really shows in the book too um so let's let's look at one of these other ones uh, one of the other things you talk about here and i see this a lot matthew and it's something i had to correct a couple of years ago in my writing is one space between sentences and this is a debate <laughs> i've seen this online a bunch well no it's not a debate it's one of those internet debates so well it's, i should say it's a real world debate i'm not gonna you know I'm, I'm with you i'm with you um it the the jury is def the decision has definitely been made of the uh of the of the people who matter on this but there's still a lot of people who put two spaces after a period um so maybe give us a little background on that and then why is that not the best choice these days well, I don't. It's, this is this is funny because this is the one issue that people have have argued with me the most about. And I've gotten to the point where I've said, look, if you if it really you really feel that strongly about it, just keep doing the two spaces. And just how about this? You just follow the rest of my advice to the letter. I'll I'll let you do the two spaces. But because it's never the, the two space thing is a holdover from from the past. Uh, if you pick up any book or newspaper or magazine today, how many spaces are between sentences? one. Uh, and folks have all these kind of crazy justifications for why they're doing two spaces between sentences, because that's what I learned in high school, or that's what I read on the internet, or I just think it looks better. These are all the bad justifications, because you know, it's, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not part of how professional typesetting is done. So I'm just here to tell people the rule. Every uh, professional typographer and typographic authority agrees on this. So I'm just sharing with you that information. If you choose to depart from that rule, that's on you. But it's, it's when, when people say, I don't really think that's a rule, I think it looks better to look, use two, two spaces, I say, well, you know what? It's almost like saying, I don't like how the subjunctive mood sounds in, in the English language. I'm just going to ignore it. And you can do that, you can, just like any you know, rule of spelling or grammar. But people are entitled to judge you based on that decision, to make up their mind, hey, that guy doesn't use the subjunctive correctly. So if you're comfortable with that, uh, go with it. But there's really no uh, justification for it except for it's a bad habit and I don't want to change. Yeah. And that was where I was with this. And finally, the evidence overwhelmed me about uh, uh, two or three years ago because I had read some things online. I'm like, okay, the, the world has definitely decided uh, that the correct way to do this is one space after a period. And I learned, like a lot of people did, two spaces after a period when I was in high school and you know took typing class. And it just it just looks so much more professional and 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 when I get when I get documents from people now with two spaces behind the period, I can't help it, Matthew. But I 
I go through and I start, especially if it's something I'm working on with them, I'll go through and I'll start removing the spaces. It's, 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 uh, maybe there's some obsessive compulsive there, but, um, well, I announce that I, I, I like to take people on, not in the sense of, you know, fight with them because it's like, you're going to lose. Uh, but I just like people to, to overcome their resistance to typography. I mean, I understand that this material is new to a lot of people, but you're not going to learn it if you go in essentially insisting that everything you already know is right because it's in your head. I mean, what kind of attitude is that? So, you know, we're, we're entering the realm of typography. You need to sort of you know, suspend your, your bad habits for a minute, go in with an open mind, whether it's, you know, one space after sentences, whether it's uh, point size and this and that. I, I like the muscle memory excuse a lot. Like I learned to type in high school and I can't, you know, it's just ingrained in my thumb. I can't do it. The funny thing is that when you, when people went from the typewriter to the computer, they had to learn again, how to, uh, how to use the, the carriage return key, right? Because on a typewriter, you have to hit that carriage return at the end of every line. Whereas on the computer, you only hit it at the end of every paragraph. So somehow, everybody figured that one out well enough. But the two spaces they can't let go of. So to, to all of them, I say, come on, people, you, you know you're, you're full of it. it well, <laughs> it, and just to reinforce what you've said there, it, it, when I, I remember clearly when I, when I made the switch, I was working on my doctoral dissertation and my editor finally said, you you, you, you don't have to do this, but style-wise, at least you need to do it for this document. Um, and it took about two to three days. It took me about two to three days before I got in the habit of doing it. Um, and really it was only painful for the first day or so, even after day one, I found that I was able to make that switch pretty, pretty quickly. And as soon as I did it, 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 and it really, it just, my writing looked better. Uh, I don't know how else to describe it other than that. It just, it just seemed like it worked. So I, I would certainly encourage that for people who are, uh, who are looking for one thing they can do that will immediately help to make things visually just look even more professional. Well, it's funny you mention that because I sometimes get asked if, if that's like the most important issue for me, this one space after sentences. And I said, no, no, not at all. This is, this is just the issue that people like to argue about the most. Uh, to me, this is completely uh, simple. Of course, you use one space. If I had a magic wand to fix one uh, bad typography habit, it would definitely be the overuse of capital letters. This is huge with lawyers, and I feel like lawyers have infected the rest of the population, but just people will bang on the keyboard, bang out those capital letters, whole paragraphs in capital letters. It's awful. It, it looks awful. It's hard to read. That's the crazy thing. It's, it's harder to read than upper and lowercase. So you have this sort of self-defeating aspect where you're using capital letters because you want people to like understand, like really understand that this is important and read it. Yet you're making it harder to read. So in fact, people are less likely to read it. So for me, caps look great if it's one line or less. But you know, do not capitalize whole sentences or, God forbid, whole paragraphs. Got it. Got it. So one line or less. Um, and when when's the time to do that? If it's like a heading or if we're just trying to emphasize something, or are there times to not use caps at all? Uh, you can hey use them wherever you like. I I I'm a big user of caps. I've no I'm a friend of the caps, but just you know, <laughs> less than one line. In fact, you know if you go on the website, I actually use small caps to uh, to indicate internal uh, cross references within the site because I just like them that much. I know a lot of sites don't do that, but <laughs> I, I'm 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 happy to do it. So no, they it, look good, but it, just, it just looks really not cool. too many of them. 
Yeah. Yeah. It looks really cool. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about the book here because, you know, this, this is really a cool resource and you've done something really different th- with this book. It, it sounds like it's a little bit of an experiment of you have not published this anywhere else. Um, it's completely free. It's only on the web. You can't get a downloadable version or anything like that. Um, and so the address to get there is practicaltypography.com. And if folks go there, uh, one of the things that you'll see right away and that I really like is kind of typography in 10 minutes. You have a, just a 10-minute guide of if you only have 10 minutes, here's the things to do. And then you've got the 26 rules, some of which we've hit on today. There's a whole bunch more here that's really helpful um, that we are not going to have a chance to to spend time on to talk about in this conversation. Um, but the thing I like about it is it's just, it's so accessible. Um, it's it's for all of us. It's not just for, it's not for lawyers. It's not for academics. It is for everybody to make this kind of the the, the basics of typography really, um, really stand out for people. And that's that's why I've, I found it to be really helpful. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad uh, you've, you've enjoyed it. I think it's it's true. I mean, there's, there's certainly plenty of different realms of, of typography, whether it's, you know, legal or, or academic or, or business typography, but you're right, there are these uh, common set of rules that, that don't uh, change between documents. So, you know, it's, it's been kind of a, an interesting challenge to, to find that, that common ground, but, you know, and, and again, I hope that this book is not the end of uh, the typography exploration for people, that it's rather the beginning, that it teaches people what typography can, can do for them and kind of starts starts to get them interested. But you know, once you get a little bit interested in typography, there's so many more uh, wonderful books out there, some of which I allude to in the, the bibliography. But um, you know, and other websites that, that where you can kind of continue to, to hone your skills and expand your knowledge. So, uh, but if, if I'm you know the, the gateway from if I help people go from not caring about it at all to caring about it a little, uh, I consider that a success. Well, you did that for me because I'm reading a book on typography right now um, that's a, a little bit more advanced beyond uh, beyond your book, and so I'm 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 really kind of interested in like what more I can learn that will help me to get my message across more effectively. So so thank you for that. And you know, one of the ways you've you're funding the book is to you know raise awareness of just some of the uh, the fonts you've created, and you've built two fonts in particular, um, or I should say, design, not built uh, concourse and equity. I've purchased both of them. Um, it's very reasonable to purchase. And you actually, I, I really like how you kind of walk people through exactly how to install it on your computer and all that. It's really simple. I used to hear of like installing fonts and things like that. And I, I thought it was extraordinarily complicated, um, but it's, it's really straightforward to do. So could you just say a little bit about the the fonts you have available? Um, and just so people know if they do want to look into a professional font, what what some options are? Sure. I mean, I should say that yeah, the the book is uh, you know as you, as you pointed out only only online and like yeah, it's it's a little bit of an experiment because you know, rather than you know try to make it a, a, whatever a paperback and sell it to people, I thought you know what I would rather just make the the uh, you know, the information free for people to read. Uh, if people want to make a donation for it, uh, I love that. And uh, or if people want to you know uh, get a, a font, that's that's great too. So it's sort of a a voluntary payment system, which has actually worked out pretty pretty well so far. So I'm oh, cool. I'm, I'm happy with the experiment. Um, and uh, now I've forgotten your question. The fonts. Oh yeah, yeah the yeah. fonts. The equity concourse. Uh, you know, the equity is a is a serif font. The concourse is a, is a sans serif family. And uh, you know, these are fonts that I made really for me uh, to to kind of fill a need. For instance, equity um, came about because uh, I wanted something that 
kind of occupy, I mean, Times New Roman, right? Such a, a famous and popular face. One of the great, great things, frankly, about Times New Roman is that it's, it's very economical on the page. You can actually fit a lot of, of, of text. And that's not true of a lot of, of fonts. Like if people like Times New Roman, they switch to something else. Like, oh, it doesn't fit as much text on the page. So with equity, I, I designed something that really does uh, have the same efficiency in terms of words per page, but, but looks nicer and has some, some features that Times New Roman doesn't. And, and similarly with, with Concourse, I'm just trying to you know, make things that I think are, are, are versatile for a lot of different documents and you know, make them uh, affordable and, as you say, easy to use. So I, I like those, those virtues as much as anyone. <laughs> so yeah, don't send me a professional font that, uh, that's a, a, a pain in the butt. Well, you, you know, my fonts, you know, the, the, those are just two. The world of professional fonts is really enormous once you get out there. So I also on my website, uh, you know, I, I point people toward, you know, fonts I didn't design that, that I have nothing to do with. Uh, there's a whole recommendation where I go through some of the common system fonts like Helvetica and Palatino and Arial. And I say, okay, well, if you like Palatino, here are some things that are kind of in that vein, but are actually uh, better that you might you know, consider adding to your, your, your arsenal. Cool. Well, that's great. I'm, uh, I'm glad, uh, we've had this conversation and I hope folks, uh, utilize this as a resource. I just, uh, we just delivered a proposal to a client using, uh, you know, the documents formatted with concourse and equity and it, it looks great. And people have really said some nice things about the document, uh, already at the beginning of the relationship. It's one of those things you can say a lot without even, um, necessarily saying anything in person just by how you use some of these uh, some of these fundamental concepts of typography. So I, I really appreciate you taking your time to give us a little education on how to utilize uh, typography really well. Sure, Dave. Well, thank you for having me. Matthew Butterick is the author of Practical Typography. You can get it online at practicaltypography.com. Thanks, Matthew. A big thanks again to Matthew Butterick for joining me on the show today. We really just scratched the surface on what's in the book. And again, it's free online, so check it out. And I've been really uh, using this as my guide for writing over the last six to nine months since discovering the book. And I'd encourage you to check it out as well. And then uh, if you check it out, or maybe you just are thinking from this conversation of something you would change to make your writing more effective, I would love to know what that is. So my question for all of us this week is, what's one change you will make to your writing? And to take that and implement that based on this conversation. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you can do so at coachingforleaders.com slash 145. At the bottom of the page there is where you can join the conversation as well and let us know what you're doing differently. And of course, as always, all the notes, links, everything from the episode are up there on that page. And as always as well, comments, questions, and feedback, always welcome, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. I'm producing the show a little later this week than I normally do, and I do have a few questions to respond to, but I'm not going to respond to them on this episode because I uh, want to make sure to give them their fair due. So I will be getting to those soon. So if you've sent in a question, know I still have it, and we'll be getting uh, it on the air here shortly. Um, but I did want to say thanks for those of you who have submitted a question and always room for more. So uh, looking forward to hearing from you. As always, I just love hearing from our community members and uh, thanks to everyone who's reached out in the last week. It's uh, it's always wonderful to hear what you're doing 
with the information from the show. And also, it's always great to hear suggestions on things that you want to hear on the show or hear me do differently. It is wonderful to get that kind of feedback. So thank you for all of you who've done that. And of course, for those who will do that in the future. And a big thank you as well to the folks who hopped on this week and subscribed to the weekly update. And that is Michael Oliver, Hennig Husum, Jurinte Soljid, I hope I said that right, Jurinte, Shauna Bellevue, Mark Schroeder, Robin Green, Michelle Singh, Gretchen Horn, Derek Green, Marcus Lurchin, Tanya Veris, Dekite Mamudu, uh, I hope I said that right, Ruben Rios, and A. Toe. Thank you so much to all of you for subscribing to the weekly update. Each week on Wednesdays, I send out the show notes for every episode with all the links, everything that's online, and in addition, a article each week that will help you in becoming more effective in your leadership through human relations, communication, and your own personal leadership. So if that's something that's of value to you, hop on to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And as a special bonus, you'll get the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others, or at least the list of them. You actually won't get the 10 books, uh, but more importantly, the list of them which books to read that I think if you if you just tackled one of those books this year will help you to really get the perspective that will help you to be more effective as a leader, including two of the books on that list that I really rely on weekly. So again, if you are interested in that, coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And I'd love to have you as part of the weekly updates as well and joining us on our community online. Also this week, a huge thank you to Vicki Hogan, who's been listening to the show for a while and uh, has talked to me over email many times. Vicki, thank you so much for the kind review, the written review you left on iTunes. And I also appreciate all the connections and uh, notes on LinkedIn. It's great to have you as part of our community. Uh, thank you, Vicki. And if you also have benefited from this show and uh, feel like you are uh, at the point where you can leave a written review that uh, captures the show well on iTunes or Stitcher, I'd be so grateful for that. The best way to do that is to go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes or coachingforleaders.com slash Stitcher if you use either of those services. And thank you in advance. Hey, have a great week. And I'm looking forward to joining you again next Monday. Take care, everyone.